Hi, I'm Adam Phillips, and I love comics. Sure, I love superhero comics, but I also love comics that are funny, or romantic, or educational, or even kind of filthy. Some have been around for decades, but I have a special place in my heart for the ones that came and went in the blink of an eye. We call them one-shots, and some of them you may have heard of, while others might make you ask, why? This is One-Shot Wonders. Hey everyone, welcome to a new episode of One Shot Wonders with Adam Phillips. Very excited because today we have a special guest, Dennis Kitchen, who is here to talk with us a little about the Spirit Jam. And for anyone who doesn't know this, Dennis is one of the legendary and uh, one of the one of the great underground cartoonists who's been in the business for a long time. He's also a publisher. And, you know, he was involved with a lot of great series as part of Kitchen Sink Press, like Bizarre Sex and Snarf. And he dared to get involved with Marvel with the comics book series, which, you know, didn't last very long, but it was a noble experiment. Um, Anyway, Dennis, I appreciate your coming on today. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. My pleasure, Adam. Thanks. So... To kind of get things started, I was hoping to talk a little about the spirit and Will Eisner. And you've talked in the past a fair amount about your relationship with Will. I'm wondering if you could tell us first, though, about like how you discovered his work and um, where you know you got involved as a reader. Sure. I think um, I first saw. A Spirit Story in Harvey Kurtzman's Help magazine. He ran one of the episodes from uh, 1950 with uh, Sans Serif that was a real classic. That piqued my interest. And then in 1966, I believe, Harvey Comics came out with a couple of issues of uh, reprints with some new material. And then that really caught my uh, interest. But then I saw nothing else. Until, uh, well, until I actually met Will, that would have been in 1971. Uh-huh. At, at my first comic convention in New York City, one put on by the original impresario Phil Suling. Oh, yeah. And um, how did you happen to meet Will there? Well, you know, that's it's it's a funny story and one that's kind of hard to believe because I was really... <laughs> I was really new to the business. I'd only been in it really a couple of years. And um, I was in the dealer area, probably looking at back issues when a French editor named Maurice Horn saw my badge and told me Will Eisner was looking for me. And I, I assured him he was mistaken, but he was persistent. And he asked that I follow him. And I thought, well, this is clearly a misunderstanding, but at least I'll get to meet, uh, you know, Will Eisner. Hmm. So I ended up in his hotel suite, and uh, he was, in fact, looking for me because he was very curious about this phenomenon called underground comics. And uh, at the time, I was puzzled, but it really, as I got to know him, I realized it was just another example of Will being constantly curious about anything related to comics and certainly anything that looked like a different business model, because as 
many of your listeners might know, Will was not just an amazing artist. He was a, a very savvy businessman. Yeah. And Phil Suling had told him that we did things in a very different way. So he basically threw all these questions at me. He wanted to know if we we really sold on a non-returnable basis. Did mm. we really uh, allow artists to keep their copyrights and keep their artwork and basically anything about distribution and uh, <laughs> the way things were organized fascinated him. And he didn't, and he didn't allow me much time to pepper him with any questions because that was <laughs> that was just old stuff for him. So, mm. um, so that was how we met in a very unlikely fashion. That is really funny, and I wonder, you know, why were you the person he sought out? I mean, obviously, you were, like you said, you were a newcomer. Well, I think I was the only one there, and I knew Phil Suling well, and so I think Phil oh, okay. suggested he talk gotcha. to me. I do remember um, Maurice Horn's name also, that Encyclopedia of Comics that came out That's in the right. 70s, which when I was a kid, I actually saved up and got a copy of it. And because, you know, I was a kid, <laughs> I looked at that and was just like, hey, there's hardly any superheroes in here. And, you know, <laughs> That's <it's>, right. <laughs> I did not get it at the time, but, you know. Maurice was also the co-curator of an amazing, very, very early exhibit of comic art in the 1960s, out of all places, the Louvre in Paris. Wow. So Maurice had some street cred uh, when I met him. I, I certainly already had his book as well. Mm, yeah. So then you got into a working relationship with Will Eisner. And, I mean, he had already, as you said, he had done those couple of uh, issues with Harvey Comics and then in the 70s, in the mid-70s, he did, I guess it was 16 or 17 issues with um, Warren Publishing. And then Kitchen Sink was able to take over the run of that. Well, I, right. Although I should say preceding the Warren run were the two so-called underground spirits. Oh, that's true. You're right. Right. And it was the success of those that caused Warren to come down and poach Will away. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, which which he did, which he did understandably. <laughs> Basically, as he told Will, um, he said, "If Kitchen can sell twenty thousand copies, I can sell a hundred or two hundred thousand copies." Hmm. And so, again, as a business proposition, I couldn't really compete. But Will was a very was was very much a gentleman about it. And when he agreed to take Warren's proposal, he said to me. I appreciate your understanding. He said, I'm going to make sure Warren buys up all of your back stocks. So you're not stuck with anything. And he said, hmm. I'm confident we'll do business again. And he was right. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And uh, when you, you know, when Kitchen Sink took over the numbering of the spirit and did some of the other publications, it also expanded in a lot of ways, you know, to include other features and more, history of the series and other other types of things so it wasn't just straight reprints a little bit of color occasionally like warren did and then you know ads for his uh weird stuff in the back of the you know the giant frankenstein poster and stuff like that and always <laughs> right. in the back of the of every magazine it seemed like but um yeah so the spirit jam originally was just in an issue of the spirit issue number 30 which came out in 1981 
And then it got this great reprint as a standalone thing with a little bit extra material in 1998. But I'm wondering, like, how did this come about? Because obviously people must have been asking Will constantly, when's there going to be new spirit? When's there going right. to be new spirit? Right. Including including me. Um, sure. <laughs> and he was obviously very resistant. But it originated because, as you may know, some of the underground cartoonists love to do jams, some quite elaborate. Sure. Most of them just passed around, you know, at a party or someplace where everybody was stoned and they often weren't very coherent, even though they might have been, you know, beautiful from a mm -hmm. just an aesthetic point of view. So I think it just came about when it was just tossing ideas out with Will and uh, he was a little intrigued by jams. He and I had actually done a couple when I, I think it might have been the first or second magazine where I interviewed him, where I drew myself and he drew himself. Ah. And we had fun with it. We did another one later on when there was, a, I think, the date on one of the Wally Wood pages uh, got mixed up and ran in the wrong order. So we did ah. a jam explaining how that might happen that showed both of us in Will's fictional vault. Mm -hmm. Well, I think what I said to him was, uh, you know, these are fun to do. And I think a lot of people would love to be involved, but instead of it being incoherent, we'll, we'll plan it. We'll have a, you know, at least a loose script that artists can follow and we'll include some writers. And so he mm -hmm. said, what the heck, let's do it. He was totally game. And so he kicked it off and he ended it as you know, and the yeah. rest was, I think uh, 50 different people. Yeah, it's a lot. And um, some do several pages and some do one panel. You know, it's really uh, all over the place uh, in that respect. Who um, came up with this, the basic storyline? Was it a combination? You know, you're testing my memory and I'm, I'm, I'm really, <laughs> I'm, I'm hesitant to say now. Um, I, I, um, at the time, uh, there was a, a columnist a contributor named Cat Ironwood who was working with me on it. And I think together we came up with a very loose plot of basically a missing story that I would find as the publisher. And then mm -hmm. somehow it would get scattered to the wind. And so various artists uh, would end up with a fragment. And then it would come together at the end with uh, some kind of a twist. And uh, uh -huh. so, I mean, that was That's essentially it. it. In retrospect, uh, should it have been uh, completely tight? Uh, you could argue that. But part of the fun is the spontaneity. Oh, I think absolutely. Yeah. And seeing the different approaches, not just because of, you know, the different elements of the story that people are tackling, but like some of these guys are, you know, basically superhero artists who are doing an homage to a favorite old strip. And some are really underground cartoonists and some are, you know, um, peers of uh, Will, like Harvey Kurtzman. That's right. Even, even Milton Kniff participated. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, late in his career. I was looking at this cover and it's, of course, fantastic and the wonderful Peter Proplaski uh, sort of put it together. Uh, there, You know, it, it also looks to me, I mean, he did a bunch of the uh, finishing on some of the figures, but when you look at it, I, I'm sure it's got to be just him doing 
a variety of ink styles, but like yes, there is a figure that looks like Kurtzman. There's a figure that looks like this and that, and right, and 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 that was kind of his little in joke because we did run a key showing an outline with who drew yeah. what, but we had a quite a few letters that came in saying your key is wrong because. <laughs> Obviously, Corbin is on the cover, and Moebius is on the cover, yeah. and uh, and Kurtzman is on the cover, and I had to, you know, politely explain to everyone that no, that was really Pete Poplaski, the human chameleon, who oh, he's who could, you know, mimic almost anybody. Yeah, the tip off to me, I mean, because I looked at it in the last few days several times and think and kept thinking like, can this key be right? And then I realized. The thing with the, the Kurtzman figure of uh, Carrion, he inked it like Kurtzman, but like 1950s Kurtzman. <laughs> right. More than like the current, you know, the then current Kurtzman, which is right. much more of a thin line thing. Anyway, so that was my, my tip off there. But, yeah. you know, I, I'm wondering, like, who did you um, first hear from? Who did you not hear from that you wanted to? And people like that, things like that. Yeah, again, you know, I would have to go back and look at the correspondence, which wow. now is all uh, at Columbia University. But if you know somebody at some point wants to really dive in, they can they can uh, look at that. But I know yeah. there were some calls to some people who I just knew were really totally going to be in, and I know Frank Miller was one that was excited because he was a huge fan of Wills He's a and. A real acolyte, yeah. Yeah, and he had he had actually wanted to earlier. I had had a conversation with him where he wanted to have a crossover with the spirit in Sin City, and uh, hmm. for various reasons that one never came off. But I knew he would be anxious to do anything with Will, and there were a few other people I'd had conversations with, both in the underground and in, you know, the the mainstream staffs mostly dc yeah um, and so i don't know that ultimately it, it it matters who was first but i did put together a form letter and i sent it to prospects and so of the 50 who came through i'm sure there were probably uh, you know a dozen or more who said no or who were just unavailable uh, i have to ask did you try to get uh, robert crumb <laughs> No, because he hates superheroes. But well, sure. But strangely enough, I mean, he did come around on on Will when Will started doing the graphic novels. Crum actually at one point sent a fan letter uh, over Will's uh, graphic novel, A Life Force. Which, oh yeah. Which he said changed his life in some ways, or I mean, he literally said it saved his life at a low Amazing. point. But but no, he hated any character with a cat, a cape or a mask, <laughs> even one is, you know, as marginal as the spirit is to being called a superhero, you know? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I worked alongside uh, Amy Brockway at DC for many years. And I remember her trying to see if he would draw a cover for this anthology called Bizarro Comics, which was, you know, twisted versions of DC characters and stuff. And he, he said, no, of course, <laughs> but you know, they ended up getting, I think Matt Groening to do that cover. So that was interesting, yeah. but yeah, there's, there's so much good stuff in here and it's so much fun. It really, you know, the, the story is just kooky. It's just like running from one place to the, another 
and meeting different, you know, different villains from the run of the spirit and also new characters that are just invented for this. It's just a terrific book. And I would love to see a new version, an expanded version, but there probably isn't anything left to expand it with, I suppose. Well, I mean, it's an interesting premise. Uh, I think the, the, the family would probably listen to any suggestion of an expanded version or even a new one. I think mm. it's it's a kind of thing that's on the table. If anybody's listening who is interested in uh, organizing, publishing, whatever, um, you know, mm. I think ears are open. Well, I will. Um, I'm going to be in San Diego in a couple of weeks, and I think think of somebody who might be a good person to talk to. So we'll, I'll take that up with him. Great. See him. Great. Are there favorite pages in here for you, or do you know do are there ones where you look at and go like uh, that didn't write. Yeah, there are. I remember at the time, uh, well, first of all, I mean, I love Harvey Kurtzman's because on his page, he actually added a word to the lexicon uh, (laughs) uh, with Eisenspritz. Um, I remember really loving, uh, I think it was Terry Austin who did the panel with the flying glass. Oh, yeah. Um, That was really uh, beautiful. The Kurtzman page is really interesting to me also because it has the two Howard Cruz panels at the beginning and the end. <laughs> it's just That's like right. one, of, one of the weirdest fits in the book, but it's so great. And man, I'm such a big fan of, of both of them. Yeah, and they, they blended together pretty well, I thought. Actually, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I also love, I mean, there's so many great pages in here. There's a page toward the end that's like Jim... Angle and Chuck Fiala and you know <laughs> right they, those guys are mostly known as uh funny animal cartoonists in a way but um Don Rosa did some work on it and I think right. Roger Stern wrote it you know it's a real mishmash and it's funny as anything yeah well I'm I'm really glad you appreciate it and uh all mm-hmm. these years later uh, it still remains a fave that's reassuring yeah I thought Richard Corbin really Richard Corbin came through with a really slam bang page too. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. And he's somebody, I mean, somebody I didn't appreciate as a kid and as I, you know, get older, I love his work more and more. Yeah. I don't know. As a kid, I uh didn't quite know what I was looking at, you know, it's the same thing with <laughs> right. Frank yeah. Robbins or whoever that, you know, you you don't appreciate when you're you want everything to be clean and and um straightforward which is kind of what you know superhero comics mostly looked like in the 70s but yeah there's some you know really fantastic pages in here the trina robbins stuff michael gilbert he did a bunch of pages yep and they're amazing and you got a little in here at the beginning which man i love your cartooning too i have to say i uh well thanks yeah i had fun with it i got to do i think one panel where I got to draw the spirit in my own cartoony style and uh, yes. cartoony fight scene. Uh, <laughs> it's great. And I got to sneak uh-huh. in sneak in Ernie Bushmiller's name as a, a possible contributor. Oh, yeah. Would have been good. He was, <laughs> he was available. Come on. <laughs> well, yeah, in theory. But, you know, that's, yeah. that's, that's a whole other uh, interview, Adam, because uh, – I found him very reclusive. I could not get a conversation with Ernie, and I would have loved. Oh, to. really? Yeah, did not know that, huh? But but that's off that's topic. Amazing. 
No, <laughs> that's okay. That's what uh, these things are all about, you know. So was there was there ever any talk about doing a sequel, or was it so much work? You know, that, you know you I th just... I think originally yes. Originally we thought, well, we'll do this periodically, you know, and maybe once every year or two with uh, impunity. But it was <laughs> it was such a uh, a logistical difficulty just getting. Uh, you know, getting artists to follow each other properly, um, mailing original art that that cover literally had to be carefully cut into, I think, four different pieces to mail around. So people other wow. than Pete would have a chance to draw it and send it back in time. And then we jigsawed it back together. And Amazing. so I would say, like, you know, childbirth and other things. Yes, you forget <laughs> about the pain later, but. But at the time, I remember thinking, yeah, that was a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And the feedback was positive. And it's it's good to know that, you know, 40 years later, uh, we're still talking about it. Oh, yeah. But obviously, okay. there there was not. Um, <laughs> no. Did people actually turn the pages in at the size you requested in the letter? The letter's in the um, the reprint. No. I think what always <laughs> happens when you're dealing with 50 creators – um, believe me, uh, not everyone's really having that uh, instruction in front of them. So I remember things came in that were larger than they should have been. And, mm. and you know, it's just typical. Again, of course. You, yeah. you can imagine the, the term wrangling cats applies in a situation <laughs> like this. And yes. there's always, you know, a couple of people who are holding up the, the ship and I'm I'm sure it was probably planned for issue 28 or 29 until it made it in number 30. Oh yeah. But uh, you know, that's, that's also uh, again, it's the name of the game. Yes, absolutely. Were you involved with the, um, the other story that got put in the reprint book, the uh, Cerebus? No, Will and yeah. uh, Dave Sim did that on their own when they were together. I, I want to say in Canada in Dave's turf and mm. that had appeared earlier, but had been long out of print. And so um, we asked Dave if he'd mind including that and he was, he was fine. So it was just a little bonus to also bump up the page count enough so that we could get a, a square binding on the collection. Yes. Which is great. I mean, cause um, you know, that this belongs on a bookcase next to your spirit Books. Yeah, I'm glad you think so. Like that. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Well, I, I can't imagine that anything like this will ever happen again quite the <laughs> same way. But if it does, I will definitely be in line to uh, purchase it. Well, that's good to know. The challenge has been <laughs> laid down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is there anything else you wanted to add on this? Uh, I, I would just, to, to anyone, again, listening who feels creative uh, is... Uh, is consider the the jam sometime if you're ever together with a colleague or several colleagues. Uh, it's fun just to somebody start a page and see where it leads. And even if it's kind of a mess at the end, it would be fun to do. And maybe it'll mm -hmm. inspire you to do one closer to the spirit jam where there's a relatively cohesive plot. And it's it's just a a great I would call it an artistic stew. Where you know you you dip yeah. in with the ladle and you don't know what you're gonna pour into your bowl, and so for people who enjoy comics, 
it's uh, it's just different and it, I, I, again you know the the word jam comes from the the musical term of course where mostly like the jazz musicians will improvise and that's not always successful either but when it works it's great and if you're really into jazz you can appreciate it more than probably a layman and i think the same applies here if you're really into comics this is something you can dive into and just uh, have a lot of enjoyable eye pops. Um, That's great. And, well, I appreciate it. Um, Dennis, is there anything you can tell us about what you're up to these days? I see you've still got your, well, yeah, your website. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm juggling a lot of things, Adam. As an, as an artist, I'm, I'm looking at a deadline in a couple of months to do a, a short uh, mini graphic biography of Al Cap. I'm uh, assembling a, uh, I did a chipboard sketchbook. I, I do a lot of drawings on what's called chipboard. And the, there's a publisher in uh, Denver named Tinto that'll be collecting that early in the coming year. Any of you who follow uh, Beehive books, uh, which uh, I did a Harrison Katie book with my youngest daughter, Violet, that was a beautiful, big uh, $125 book. A couple of years ago, we're doing a follow-up to that one on an artist named Boris Artsy Bashev, who probably oh, yeah. many of you haven't heard of, but if you look him up, I think your eyes will pop over his work. It's long overdue. Yes. And I'm working on a secret project I can't uh, go into now, but I, I assure you I'm busy. <laughs> I am not surprised at all. And I, I should mention, by the way, I've I think we've talked about this way back, but I adored the Al Cap biography. I thought it was fantastic. Oh, thank you. And, and somebody on Twitter the other day, uh, who I kind of talked back and forth with a little bit, was saying, do you think I should read Lil Abner? Should I, you know, and people were offering opinions and things. And I said, um, I'm not a huge fan of the comic strip, but this biography is really worth worth picking up. It's really amazing. Well, he he yeah. led a fascinating life, uh, for better and for worse. Yeah, yeah. I was always fascinated with him as a as a young boy. It was the comic strip that kind of hooked me every day. And then as I got older, and his own career took a lot of twists and turns, I became fascinated and ultimately appalled with the man. <laughs> but he was a genius yeah. cartoonist, and so thanks for the plug on that. I should probably add another yeah. thing I'm on the ground floor on is a documentary about Cap that I'm working oh, cool. on with uh, Andrew Cook, the brother of uh, John Cook, that some of your readers oh, yeah, know. Fantastic. That's really great. All right. Well, Dennis, it's been a pleasure talking, and I appreciate your time. Again, my pleasure, Adam. Thanks for your interest. All right. Thank you. You bet. Thanks for listening to One Shot Wonders. I'll be back next week with another One Shot comic. Meanwhile, hit the subscribe button, leave me a review, tell your friends, and go buy some comics.